Jill, ask them what they think about Supervillain. That sounds better to me. More exciting. Do you prefer saving America? How about saving the world? Nope. It's saving America. This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And today we're here to talk about the second episode of the second season of Amazon Prime's The Boys. This one is called Proper Preparation and Planning. That's a lot of alliteration. (laughs) Very hard to say. And in light of what happens in this episode, I'm having a little trouble making the connection. What do you think proper preparation and planning applies to with this episode? It it doesn't fit so nicely now that I'm thinking about it. The only thing that comes to mind is maybe there's just pieces of a puzzle that could possibly stand for planning, or it could be maybe the anti of that. (laughs) And that's what I was just thinking. Yeah, nothing nothing seems to go to plan. (laughs) Yes, it might be the sarcasticness of the show. Also, (laughs) that could be. That could be. I think I'm going to go with that instead of trying to find a correlation because that seems more of it because um, there's like little elements here that are at play that are setting things up. But as we know from like season one and everything, it just doesn't go to plan. Like one example of that would be, uh, and by the way, I plan on going through this uh, like we did the first episode, sort of character by character in terms of big story uh, moments. So one way that that I think that that applies in terms of things kind of flying off the rails was Becca and Homelander. Becca's life had been set up to never see Homelander again and keep her son Ryan in in secret. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was proper preparation and planning that didn't work. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I looked it up. And the closest thing that I could find for Homelander and his milk fetish was something called lactophilia, which is more specific to breast milk. But he did seem intent on making out with just like her cow's milk, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, I guess was just maybe a surrogate for what he really likes. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel I, like he's just trying to get a little whiff of whatever to remind him of it. I guess milk doesn't in any form doesn't really do it for me personally so i I can't appreciate it on that level (laughs) yeah i know um let's talk about becca for a second though do you see the parallel that that homelander brought up with with her about the way that she is choosing to raise ryan and do you think that he has a valid point in that you know kind of the keeping homelander sequestered from the rest of the world kind of turned him into who he is that's not exactly his point But that's kind of what you could come around to because we know both sides of the story. I mean, just in life, too, I know when 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 parents or, you know, whoever's taking care of someone like you want to shelter your kid or whoever you're taking care of to protect them. Right. The Homelander case, obviously, that was not the case. It was just like he was being grown and and groomed and, and to be who he is right so that's like a different case but yes he was he was hid from the world and that made him who he is Um, but he was also treated uh, he didn't have love he didn't have any of those lessons at least becca you know if they are being sequestered and she's sheltering ryan she is showing him love you know he's able to be a kid for the most part i think homelander is just trying to kind of get under her skin a little bit or trying to make himself feel better i think as well as like i'm coming in here you think i'm the bad guy well i think he knows he's the bad guy but he maybe just generally wants to think that he's going to come in here and be a father figure to ryan and take him away from what he sees as not being exposed 
to what he thinks he should be exposed to, which is funny, right? Because like, what does he know about a childhood <laughs> or what exactly, he thinks yeah. is like the lessons he should be learning right now? That's a good parallel that he was trying to kind of like zing to her, but it was like, uh, I don't know if you're, doesn't really stick in my eyes. <laughs> You know, I haven't, I haven't, like I said in the previous podcast, I haven't read these these uh, comics, and I haven't really gone out of my way to read a bunch of reviews or psychological analyses of the characters or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm just making this up as we go along. Yeah, me too. But Homelander seems to have this need for whether it's praise or adulation or uh, approval or something. But that all that stuff kind of ties into love in, in a way, or at least the way that he understands it, not maybe the way that actual people understand it, but maybe the way he understands it. And it's like he views Ryan as like this, well, I'm his dad, so it's he can't get out of loving me. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just built in. <laughs> and that's maybe why he's really stuck on, you know, going and visiting and, and forcing his way into his life. Like that icky, gross moment when he when he tells Ryan, love you, now you say it back. Yes. Oh my God, that's so cringy. That's a good word. Cringy. That was... <laughs> And because this show can make you cringe with other ways, you know, ripping people's heads in half and shit like that. But this was about the same cringe level, having this monster force you to say that you love him. Yeah. And it's so sad at the same time, like on Homelander's end. It's, it's funny that he was telling Ryan that speech about God should not have to feel this type of pain about being lonely and all that. And then it's like, but then he kind of goes against that too. And he's not trying to really help his case with people either. And I guess my only conclusion is that he just really doesn't know how to get what he needs. And he's just goes about the completely wrong way. Um, and then at this point too, I don't think he's going to want to change. Um, no. he's really yeah. like he said in his way. So I think he's really just going to try to do this his, his own way and try to get Ryan to love him. But it doesn't seem like Ryan was really taking to him. He was just like going along. Cause I think he could sense something is not right. Yeah. Um, I guess in the, in the future episodes, it's going to be curious to see how that dynamic's going to play out. Cause Homelander, it feels like he's really banking on this to like, keep him, I guess in a way sane or not to go off the rails because he's already killed the, you know, um, what was her name? Stillwell. So I think this is like maybe his last, last grasp at like maybe trying to be a little normal or something. And so I feel like, or, if, or feel like that he has family. Yeah. Cause I was wondering, you know, Ryan, it's not a done deal that he has powers, right? Yeah, no, we haven't been exposed to that or if he does or not, because we, what we know is V is uh, like they weren't um, made. I mean, they weren't born, they were made. And so I'm curious to see if like the, if you were made into a superhero, does that pass on through your, through exactly. your genes? And, and scary question for Ryan, what happens if it doesn't? And you have this guy that is emotionally the way he is what happens if he's banking on you being a god with him and you aren't you can't be what happens to, what happens then is it, does he just like take his ball and go home or or something else because he he's kind of usually does something else when things don't go his way yeah i think that would be a pretty bad outcome <laughs> for ryan um S subtlety award of the podcast <laughs> yes but i don't know do you think they would spend all this time on that um but i don't know it would also be kind of really in the spirit of the boys if that happens one of the one of the things that i really liked most about the earlier seasons of Game of Thrones was that they didn't let characters have full, fulfilled arcs, right? They cut them off. 
before they were done. So you never got to know how things were going to end up for them. And, and I think the boys has that same potential, you know, Mm -hmm. where it's, where it's going to give you that same unresolved feeling of, God damn it. They were about to pay off and they didn't, which I know feels anti-intuitive from like a, I don't know, like a quality storytelling perspective, but we get that in almost everything else that we watch, you know? <laughs> yeah. So when it doesn't happen, it, it is actually kind of refreshing. It's in, cause when the rest of it is so well done, you, you suspect anyway that you're being shown something intentionally and, and the fact that it's doesn't resolve, that's okay because someone who knows what they're doing is behind the scenes. At least that's what we thought that Game of Thrones it <laughs> turns out otherwise. But I, I, I'm I'm still I'm still hopeful with this crew in, in the boys. I'm watching the boys because I like that aspect of it. Like that's one of the highlights of the show for me is I don't know where it's going and I don't know anything about the comics or any of the source material. So I'm just going in like blank and I really just want them to be, you know, relying on good storytelling with these type of things. And if it turns out where Ryan is not a soup, then I will be okay with that. Cause that's a cool and really sad because of the outcome that could possibly happen because of that and the Homelander effects of it. But it's interesting, like as a story and, and as a TV uh, plot kind of thing, I wouldn't be opposed to it. So Homelander doesn't doesn't actually have like a lot of stuff that he does in this episode, but he does give the kid a cell phone. Do you suppose this is like a Chekhov's cell phone kind of situation <laughs> where we're going to see this cell phone sometime later? I, I got to imagine so. I mean, why bother to have that portion unless the kid who initially seems to think that Homelander's giving him a bunch of bullshit might come around to his thinking because a lot of kids might like being told that they're gods you know yeah i think uh i i found it more i think it's just the cynical tv viewer in my eyes of all the conditioning of all the shows that we've been watching um like game of thrones (laughs) that i was like oh is that a tracking device (laughs) oh boy yeah or like kind of a right yeah kind of like a backup of um like not security on homelander's part but kind of like just a I'm going to keep tabs on you in some way. And I, that's what I felt. Because we know Becca wants to run. Yeah. And uh, Ryan will pack that in probably, right? If they were to, Homelander's generally wanting him to talk to him. I think that is part of it. Like he probably wants to feel like Ryan's going to, if he calls, he'll feel good about it. But I think it's more so like a, in my eyes, it's like a tracking thing. That is a great call. Put a pin in that listener. Cause I, I <laughs> bet that is the thing. That's where we're going to come back to this cell phone. It's going to fall out of his backpack when Becca's halfway across Kentucky trying to run away from the trouble that 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 she's in. And she's going to be like, oh, shit, you had this the whole time and Homelander's going to show up. Yeah, that's what's going to happen, people. Yeah. <laughs> this theme of of the soups being addicted to praise and adulation and, and approval is something that we see carried over in different ways to, I would say, both Annie and Stormfront. Annie doesn't seem to know that she has this quality about herself, or does she? In the conversation that she had with Stormfront, where they kind of conflict with their views on that particular subject, um, it's like she didn't know how to put it into words the way that she she felt about a stormfront had a speech ready but <laughs> <laughs> but but annie was still it's like she couldn't she couldn't come out and say this is i i know i know this is a front i know what i'm doing but i can't actually say that to you right here in this setting what I, did you think of their two their their exchange and their their relationship at this point 
Annie represents, I think, how I would feel or how sometimes you are meant to feel in, in terms of like you follow the rules and you have to put up front up. You don't tell people how you feel. You know, you kind of just go along. And she has obviously deeper things because she's a double agent at this point. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's also part of the facade. But even before that, you know, she is playing this role that her mom kind of groomed her for as well. And she even though she feels like she's got out of that, right, like she kind of broke away from her mom and and is like independent in some ways and, and took control of like what what she's doing. It's I think Stormfront just kind of put the mirror to her and like, oh, you're still playing this in, in her eyes because she doesn't know the double agent part. But she is just telling Annie like, oh, no, you're still doing like what they want you to do. You're still their like puppet. And I think that's why Annie got defensive and was like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not doing that. Although I think she did realize that in some ways of the perspective of it from an outsider point of view, like Stormfront, who just says whatever she wants. And then I love Stormfront in that sense. Like we got to learn more about her character that she really doesn't give a shit. And then like some of that insight, I guess, is she's like, you're bulletproof. Like, why do you care what people think of you? And then it kind of makes you feel as if you were like, oh, so Starlight didn't have to go through all that shit she went through. But yeah, you can't also pin that on starlight either because of like everything she like her childhood and everything right because it could be easy to do that too i was doing it in my brain like watching yeah. it because like star stormfront basically says if someone sticks a dick in your mouth you bite that dick off or you bite it and and then i was thinking oh yeah like duh but then i was like <laughs> but then i was like that's not easy to do for everyone and i think it would be unfair to say that like oh anyone who's been in that position or whatever or like starlight was for you to just think that you could have that fight in you. And I think Stormfront is just so like, I don't know, she maybe she's gone through some stuff. I would like to know more about her backstory of how she became so at the end of her journey and like where Starlight would want to be, I guess, in that in all these conversations or where I would want to be, too, or just being so like, I'm just going to say everything I want. I'm going to bite a dick off of it you know, if I need to. <laughs> but not everyone can be like Storm Stormfront. We're more like Starlight in some ways. We're going to hit Stormfront before we're, we're done. But why do you think Annie cares? Why do you think she cares what Stormfront thinks? Or is it because she's trapped into thinking what or caring what everybody thinks about her? And she's very interested in this new person who's, who says and does what apparently she whatever she wants. Why is it important to her specifically to have that person give a shit? about her i think she wants to be like stormfront in some ways deep down she's trying to i think in her mind she's trying to get the v to expose vaught and bring him down so then she can say all the things that she wants to say you know in the safety i guess aspect of it and then she sees stormfront who's just saying everything that she wants to say and feels supposedly when stormfront basically says you can do all that like i think it's just like the hesitation of like well why isn't she doing that and so I think that's what's making her maybe think she stands for something, but then she realizes like, oh, but I actually, I don't know, you know, like that, that kind of um, thing of like, oh, nothing actually is holding you back really is what Stormfront basically is telling her. And then she is just putting these barriers up of not being able to say things. It's because like when someone says something that really hits you personally of like what you're going through, or what you're trying to not confront you get defensive or you then you want that person's like love or you want them to respect you. And so I feel like that's probably where it's coming from on Starlight's end and to some degree. That's, that's a good call because I'm worried about her in general seeking approval because as we had mentioned in the last podcast, how she had resorted to blackmailing Gecko right away with, with a little too much ease 
and how in this episode we see the effects that seeking and requiring love and adulation has had on Homelander. And then so we see Annie now kind of needing others' approval and seeking it, being disappointed in herself when she doesn't get it and the effects that it has on her. Yeah. So I'm I'm starting to 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 worry for her that she is sliding down a Homelander type path and not even really knowing it. For all of them to be in this position, you have to sort of love admiration in some ways because yeah. we know the boy, I mean the the superhero kind of thing is not necessarily out of just the genuine wanting to do good aspect <laughs> they're all there because even though they've had and they've had to do horrible stuff right like starless is suck a dick um and she did it because she wanted to you know continue on that's what she thought she had to do she didn't want to do it but she did it because she ultimately wanted to be in the seven all of them have a little bit of wanting and we know a good portion of, maybe all of them do want that love in some ways whether it's the people mm -hmm. love whether it's their teammates love whether it's like this new team member or whatever they they need it i think it's just because of it's kind of sad right because they're so su they're super powered yet they're don't have the basic like things that they actually need <laughs> yeah they, they do seem to be all missing something you know whether it's uh emotional uh background to kind of be a full person or or like in the in the in the case of the deep he uh, has a what did the what did the doctor say it was a non-existent operational perspective <laughs> <laughs> i looked that up that is not a at least in the first couple of pages of google that is not real phrasing for actual psychiatric assessment but um or at least uh like i said not in the first couple pages of google you get other stuff when you search those words non-existent <laughs> operational perspective but you do kind of understand what she means when she says it anyway back to annie and stormfront um your idea of not being a superhero completely for virtuous reasons does resonate with me in my own assessment of stormfront because although she says to Annie, I don't care what anybody thinks, and Pippi Longstocking's my favorite person in the world or whatever. <laughs> um, when we meet her, she is live streaming, and we see that she's getting little streams of hearts and thumbs and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, would you be uh, a social media live streamer and seeking that kind of stuff if you weren't actually interested in people's approval and opinions of you and all that kind of stuff? Or what? Because I kind of think you do. Yeah. I mean, you know? I base it off my own experience with, you know, being on social media and stuff. And it's like, I don't post everything I do, but I will say that sometimes like I am close to hitting send and I'm like, oh, why am I wanting to post this? Is it because I'm promoting something, you know, whether it's a podcast or an article or whatever that it merits posting, right? Or is it something where I just want to show people and get that validation and then I think about it, I'm like, oh, but that's, what if I don't get that validation and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to feel like the cool thing that I want to post that is cool to me and feels good might be taken away, you know, like it might actually um, diminish. And so I think we all post some things or live stream or whatever to be seen, right? Because why would we post yeah. it? Like, sometimes I think like, oh, no one's going to see it, you know, whatever. But it's like, I hope, secretly hope people see it, right? I, yeah, you're right. Like, She's live streaming for a reason. I think it has to be a little bit about ego and wanting, I guess she also has that thing that I was talking about of needing some sort of attention in, in whatever way to fulfill whatever lack of emotional thing she's going through. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. We will need to know a lot more about her before we have our full assessment. Right now, I am conf- I, I sense a conflict <laughs> in Stormfront's presentation. She says she doesn't need anyone's approval, but then she she live streams and, and, and gladly accepts all the hearts and stuff like that that she gets in doing so. If she didn't care, she wouldn't do it unless, you know, maybe she's got some other reason for the live streaming. You never know. We hopefully do find that out at some point so that she doesn't so that I can take her off my are you bullshit kind of list that yeah. she's currently on right now <laughs> going back to Annie because she also runs into a train and a train makes his his appearance back on the on the show they basically come to what I described uh, in my notes as a mutually assured destruction pact <laughs> however I don't know that a train is actually gonna be this is gonna sound bad but I don't know that he's smart enough to like make the most of what he knows without getting hurt. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, you're right. Because just by giving up Annie to Homelander, I mean, that would already seal her fate. So I wonder what he's thinking by not doing that and how Annie was able to kind of leverage what she told him, which was basically like, you killed your girlfriend and whatever. So maybe it's that part of he's feeling guilty and maybe the part of, you know, because what she kind of blackmailed him with was the fact that, oh, I'm going to Sports Illustrated might find out about this. If we're talking about the theme of, you know, them wanting attention and love, you know, he's the athlete. He has adoration from his fans and stuff. So I think maybe that was enough for him to basically call it off. Right. Because he would lose the love of 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 the of the world, of the fans and stuff like that. So I think like that just shows that they're all fueled by that, <laughs> that, yeah. that sense. And even though he, he has her, like, you know, he could have just gone and, and, and did it to Homelander. But I think he knows like, oh shit, like I would have stuff to lose too that I, I, th- I think he's still working on a way to, to do that. But yeah. I just, I just don't know that he's going to be bright enough to, to do it without getting himself killed in the process. Yeah. And also like, how did he miraculously get healed? That's my question. They didn't address it because oh, we, that's a good question. Yeah. Because we just saw it in the first episode where he was in a coma. We didn't really understand. I mean, he was having, having this crazy heart attack in the, you know, season finale of season one. So, um, I want to know, are there any like lasting effects of like, d- how did he just get cured <laughs> is my thing. Yeah. And pop out of nowhere. <laughs> For a show about people with superpowers, a full understanding and kind of a nerdy concentration on who has what powers and what are the extent of the powers and all that kind of shit that that kind of goes along with normal comic book stuff isn't part of this show really yeah. which know? i kind of like in some ways because i think it just it leaves it open we don't know what's going to happen sort of thing but then also on other things i'm like hmm, I, w- I would like some explanation about it like we thought we understood homelander powers right but then he he knew somehow that Becca had gone to Dr. Park's facility. And, and we saw him looking at her through the camera in the mm. security booth at that facility. How do how do we know? Did he hear her there or or is it some other power that hasn't been explained yet? This show just sort of leaves that kind of thing open ended. So does A Train have a any kind of like rapid healing or anything like that? They haven't said they pro- they may never do anything like that. Because I've I've been around people that have had heart related injuries and in, in their recovery process, and, it, and you are not back up to full strength, speeding around shit like <laughs> the day you wake up. That's for darn sure. Yeah, um, it can take quite a while to even get back to half strength, and uh, and he seems to be fine. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny too because I guess in these first few episodes we've seen 
powers here and there, but it's just so much of the character driven story right now. And like, we understand from like the first season what they can do and like how it can get really bad, but they're not really focusing on like, there's not a lot of that right now. In this- it's almost like they had to put Kimiko's uh, head ripping off scene in there to just to remind us. Yeah. That we're watching a superhero show where people can do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause I was actually thinking about like, Oh, okay. Like, we are actually like, there's so much talk about this, you know, what, what they're, what they are and whatever. But I was like, the, we, they're not really doing anything with their superpowers right now. And I was like, Oh, that's fine. Cause you know, you can't have it all the time, but maybe that's like the difference in this season because they're just building upon what they built in the first season so far. Yeah. I mean, we did get more, more powers toward the end of this episode um, with Kimiko and her brother, but yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like this is, a low-powered show episode. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was far. like, oh, we're, this is just drama with people in costumes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the girls get it done posing and, yeah. and whatnot. We should maybe talk about that girls get it done portion. Um, that was very overblown, I think, to make it obvious that the, maybe what the show thinks of that sort of feminist angle on having having roles, having super roles, whatever. I think Stormfront probably was the mouthpiece of the writers on their opinion. Yes. <laughs> and I think she said it as well as it could be said, really. Uh, I kind of, I agree with her perfectly with, with, with that. We were, we were covering another show the, the other night. Uh, it's a, it's a Netflix show called Away that is coming out the same day that this episode, this episode of The Boys premieres. The same kind of question comes up in that, which is, can a woman have it all, career and family and all that? And one of the things that we wound up trying to answer was, why are we still asking? <laughs> yeah. Why, why is this still, why are we still asking women this question? And, and things like that, girls get it done, is, is I think another angle on that tired discussion. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, that's the way I think about like when we're going to reach true equality is when we don't have to think about it, when we don't have to say girl power, it'll just be power and anyone can get it. Um, We won't have to say, you know, like female director, female, whatever, like any ad, we won't have to add female in front of anything Um, (laughs) and or whatever adjective in any sense. And it'll just be like up for grabs for anybody who warrants, you know, with their abilities or whatever. And so I think that's when it'll be the true equality of, um, and we've seen that like in, in, uh, with like, uh, in Scarlett Johansson, I'm going off tangent a little bit, but like in the MC universe black widow, she, and maybe this was where it stemmed from a little bit is like, she, there's videos of her, like clips of her from press junkets promoting those films where they would ask her like, Oh, where, what did you eat? You know, or how did you get so fit? Or there was a guy who was really creepy where he was saying like, Oh, did you wear underwear under that? Or, you know, like stuff like that. And it's like, they don't ask the guys that, you know, and it's just so funny. Um, so I think this was just a very, like an ode to all those like horrible questions that get asked for like the women when you can ask them the same thing. Cause they're obviously same superheroes, right? Yeah. yeah so they have to yeah. deal with the same stuff. It's not like, Hey guys, we're like in a, we're in a battle right now. So, Oh wait, you're a woman. So you're going to only do this. You know, it's like, no, like you're there for a reason. You have your own powers. You're going to kick ass. You're going to save the team, whatever, essentially. Right. So yeah. It, it's just a contradictory when those questions get asked. But I think Stormfront is like the, you're right, the the mouthpiece of what we wish we could just all say and just, or we what we say in our minds when we roll our eyes all the way back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The the last of the active seven that I want to check in on is Queen Maeve, only because this is the first time we got an ounce of backstory about her. Yeah, it was really nice to see that backstory and see her. Um, I, I guess we've seen Annie in her regular clothes outside of the superhero outfits. And then we got to see Maeve very, um, you know, dressed down and, and just going to Elena. Yeah. And, um, you know, her love and all that. And also it was nice to hear from her because Elena was like, oh, no, like basically Maeve was doing the same thing. of like, no, I can't show you because she made a joke about, um, oh, I'll take you out to dinner. And then she's like, oh, yeah, right. We can't go. And it kind of had alluded to in the first season that was because um, the public wouldn't accept like, um, you know, them as a couple. Um, Mm -hmm. And then Maeve basically squashes that and says like, no, it's because Homelander will see that I love you. And like, you know, he, she gave an example of that, of what he would do to her as like a loved one because he needs to maintain control. And so I thought that was really nice for them to like kind of reveal that. Yeah. Cause I I have it on my notes here. Is it that she's not, allowed to be a gay superhero but then i thought well but ashley is actually looking for other well she yeah in the first um episode ashley's like oh we can have an ethnic hero we can have a female hero oh it'll be even better if we have an ethnic female hero right Um, right, all that Uh, adjectives yes (laughs) yes adjectives adjectives. (laughs) yes so i guess it's not that's not the issue it's it's the taking attention away from from homelander basically he doesn't need her as a girlfriend or something like that, but he doesn't, he just wants whatever spare attention she can give. It should be focused on him. Yeah. And I also think in some, I think because he is sadistic, I think he also doesn't want anyone else to be happy. Mm. And I think if you were to see Maeve really happy or any of them, I don't think he likes that either. And I think it, he would probably see that as a liability as well. Um, just as like when, if he is acting like as a good leader, he probably would see it. Because it's that question, can heroes have partners or whatever? Because that's kind of a weakness as well, right? That's like a bit in all the series about superheroes and all that. It was cool for them to point that out. And I think, um, and then she, Elena asked, like, why did you tell me now? And she's like, I just didn't want you to hate me anymore. And so now we see Maeve's reasoning, like she wants this love as well, but she can't have it. (laughs) But she just wanted to feel better about it. It's an important moment, you know, that that she shares a, a vulnerability. She shares that. You know, it, a lot of times in TV shows and movies, there's there's uh, lies of omission kept from loved ones because they want to protect the other person. But in this case, you're protecting that person from the most powerful single person on the planet. Hands down, no one can do anything to stop them ever, whatever. In this case, it's hard to, to argue yeah. <laughs> that that's not true. You usually... In, in those in those cases of that it's not as bad as all that yeah you know but in this case it is a lot of people outside of Vought don't actually know that homelander is a terrible dick person and she just shared that no one knows that and we don't know about elena what if what if she's is she like a, a reporter or something that could hurt bought in the, in the seven if she were to say anything that's it's very uh interesting that, that, that that's now out it is telling that Maeve didn't tell her right away like previously and that she you could tell that she was a little distressed even revealing it like she was genuinely scared about telling elena about it yeah i mean the dude might even be able to hear <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know 
we only see the perspective of like, you know, the inside to these superheroes and we're not really seeing the outside of like just the regular folks who are um, like admiring or, or see, like, I wonder what the perspective of, of the audience is or, you know, the, I guess the people of America <laughs> to these superheroes or even the world. Um, Cause we all, we just get hints of it through these characters of like, they're going to think this and through PR and blah, blah. And I'm like, it's funny that we're not seeing any of the other side, which I'm not necessarily saying we have to, but it's so skewed, right? That you forget since we know Homelander's like very crazy <laughs> that that's not necessarily has been exposed to anybody else other than uh, other than us and, and the other seven. So yeah, that's a good point. So we can move on to the boys and what you're talking about in terms of being exposed to what the world might know about the seven and, and, uh, Vaude and the way that we handle our superheroes. Kimiko's brother explains after they hook up that some kind of superhero came and destroyed things like crazy where where he came from. I think we might be able to assume that was Homelander. He didn't say it was, but the description of the the way that the damage was inflicted, kind of the sadistic nature of the way that that uh, he went about it, kind of matches up, wouldn't you think? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think they're, I guess through the eyes of uh, Kimiko's brother, we are seeing those effects on certain people <laughs> um, yeah. that might start um, revealing itself possibly. Kimiko's brother, which by the way, is a connection made on this podcast, sight unseen <laughs> in the previous podcast with the relationship between the two. He is pivotal to Billy's plans to get his little crew out of Hawk with the government. The trouble is, obviously, that he's Kimiko's brother. This whole thing causes a gigantic rift in the boys. They don't know who to follow. It seems a little like Billy is the most desperate we've ever seen him, and he is kind of off his nut in trying to get this to come together. What was your sense of, of Billy in this episode? Would you continue following Billy? Do you think he's he's in the right on this one? This episode opened with Billy and we got a little bit of what happened to him right after yeah. the season one finale, which we didn't know before. And that he's dealing with some sort of memory loss to some degree of not remembering where Becca was and exactly where he was taken and like where he landed. And then he just wrote that he just wrote bits and pieces of what he did remember to try to get back to her. And the fact that he asked his team for help, at the, you know, during this episode and he was like, I'm desperate. I know you guys like I'm not the best leader. <laughs> I don't make the best decisions, but I really need your help. It was a hero speech in some ways, right? Like a rally rallying yeah. like team coach thing, but in the most like anti way possible. <laughs> where these folks don't need to help him but he was just like so desperate that they obviously are going to help him because in some weird way they're all family he gets by on his swagger most of the time though he is very confident in what he's doing and they believe him because of that after he talks to the colonel and he comes back to the haitian king's area and he's like, so I cut us a deal. All we got to go do is go get this guy and, you know, we'll we'll be in the clear. Given the way that he approached the colonel, which was like, okay, I know who killed Rainer. And then he's like, well, actually, I can find that out. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me wonder, since it happened off camera, did he actually get a deal with the colonel? Is this not? one of his like, uh, well, that could be part of the title episode, right? The preparation. Proper preparation yeah. and planning. Yeah. And that's maybe where this isn't actually like a good plan. <laughs> yeah. 
we don't necessarily know what he exactly discussed and it could be something of an interpretation of what he thinks he needs to do to get on the good side of the colonel. I am leaning toward he told them bullshit. Yes. Like, some bullshit, like, some sincerity, but mostly like not telling them 100% truth. Yeah. I'm thinking it's more like if they delivered Kimiko's brother, then maybe the colonel would be open to getting a meeting or something like that. But in terms of like getting milk back with his kids and expunging their records and cleaning up, you know, all that shit in exchange for one guy. I don't know. It sounds too good to be true. It would be motivating if you were in their shoes, but at the same time, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't add up for me. Yeah. It seems like a crazy mission that doesn't necessarily fit whatever he's telling them. Right. And it's kind of telling, um, maybe the boys haven't thought it through, but emotionally, Later on in the episode, after he tries to kill Kimiko's brother and they stop him or Huey stops him and the boy's loyalty to him is basically shaken completely. Like they're not necessarily transferring it to Huey, but they don't want to go kill Kimiko's brother either. So he has to come clean with the, I'm doing this because I think I can find Becca and all that stuff. And that's the only thing that he can do to get them to understand why they should help him. But after that, I don't know that he's going to have any more bullets, you know, to keep their loyalty at that point. I really like that moment at the very end, though, when um, it just made it like cemented that they even though they're really wanting to get away from each other in some ways, like Huey would love to go to real life or whatever. And Mother's Milk wants to go to his family when they choose not to go through with letting Billy kill her, her, her brother. Um, and they all give each other like a look like dude, we can't kill her brother. You know, like that was basically like right. the look, um, like yeah. Kimiko is one of us. We can't do that to her, even though like, you know, I'm sure Billy wanted to do it too, but he probably didn't want to do it in some ways. He was just trying to do it to get to Becca or yes. whatever. Um, right. And that moment to me was so, I know you used the word cute in our first episode. And to me, that was cute because it just showed that they are a real family. And as much as they try to fight and, and they're fighting, which is really family-like, they do in some ways love each other. I think they need each other. And they, in that moment, really showed that because Kimiko has become one of them. And the fact that they didn't follow through just shows how much like their loyalty to each other in these crazy circ circumstances has really played out. And I, I loved it. Like that was my favorite moment, I think, of the show of, of how it ended because it was just, it was not even spoken. It was just kind of known like, hey, we're not doing this. We're going to find another way, basically. <laughs> Where does that leave Huey? Like he didn't have a lot to do in this episode besides just look annoyed. But at the very end, he gets punched in the face. And he has a moment there where he can either fuck off and, and not get back in the van and admit basically that he has to keep being Billy's, not bitch exactly, but admit that Billy's in charge and that's just the way it is. Or he could just go. He could just not get in the van, but he gets back in the van. Yeah. Should he have done something else? Or is this just his character? Like his dad in the first season was very adamant that uh, Huey just didn't have the spine to do anything, basically. Is this just more of that old Huey coming through? Or is it, or is it just a realization like, I don't have anything else. <laughs> I, if, I, if I don't get in the van, I sleep on the street tonight. I think it's some of that. And I also think it is, um, I'm hoping this is just setting him up for that first episode line that he says about wanting to be Harry Potter and Katniss and the guy that everyone underestimates that is actually a badass. And I think he really wants to believe that. 
And so I think this moment kind of proves the the opposite of that because he Billy is just so tough, right? He can handle his own. He is like a bad. He is the true badass, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. sucks that Huey is getting reminded of his not being a badass <laughs> and being able just to kind of be wiped out in the second by a punch. But also, he keeps. If he went back, I think he realizes like there's some truth to it, right? Like maybe he feels like he's not ready yet. Like he has nothing else. Or maybe it's like tough love with Billy and Huey. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I think Billy, he doesn't really show a lot of emotions, but obviously he takes care of these people and he takes care of Huey in some ways. And maybe he just wants to show him like, hey, I'm not always going to be here kind of thing. I'm going to punch you because just to remind you that you got to fend for yourself in some ways is my also projecting maybe like a father son type thing. The last character we should cover because he takes up time on screen is the deep and his journey of self-discovery. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it still. I don't know. I guess it's that thing of, so I get that he's had, he. I guess we learn that he has severe body issues because of his gills. Yes. And that he's projected that on treating women like shit because he thinks that they, before they even say anything about it, he thinks that they will say something about it and then therefore he has reacted and made people demean them first so they don't demean him. So that's like a lot of like insight to possibly why someone would be like that, right? Because I think sometimes there's that saying that says hurt people hurt people. Ah, yeah. But that doesn't also like i it said doesn't in, justify anything yeah it, it explains it though yeah i guess you can you can um understand it it still doesn't take away the fact that you have done all those bad things but i guess in terms of like a story arc not saying it's going to be redemptive yet i'm not sold on that but i guess it, it also also kind of seen not just the asshole part of it that we saw in the first season but like these deep issues and like it's sad to see that right like in some ways with the deep like that he's had these severe and and also i think in some way like i guess in a arc or a tv thing to seeing a man like a, a male character i guess go through body issues is also different it's rare yeah it's infrequent mm-hmm. that's a good point so i can appreciate that i guess in that way but it's still like he's done shitty things so i don't know <laughs> i think they're gonna drive him even further like like they mentioned rock bottom but we're using that to manipulate him to do something we don't know yet but I'm confident that Eagle and Carol are going to use him for something. And, but it's going to be something where they give him the gift of figuring out these body issue things that you're mentioning and are right on about. But that gift is going to then manipulate him to do something else that they want. I'm not sure what, but when I saw that the workbook he was using was from the Church of the Collective, <laughs> <Yes>. my eyebrows <laughs> went up. Yeah. <laughs> Highly suspicious of these these therapeutic materials. Yeah. I mean, it seems a bit cultish, I guess, in some ways. Uh, or not even cultish. I wouldn't say that. I would say it seems like Carol is definitely... Because like, even when she sees that he is just not being responsive and she goes to the archer and is like, um, like I don't want to spend my time on this. Like, It, it feels like she definitely has an agenda. Mm-hmm. Of, like you had mentioned, like she she really wants to get someone in the seven real bad. Um, yeah. And if she has like a soup, which is Archer, but maybe he's not, you know, we haven't really seen him in action. So maybe he's like also part of this ploy. Right. And he's just pretending to be to con the deep into whatever they're trying to lure him into and get him out of his like a uh, rock bottom so they can then use him 
Because then if he does get out of his rock bottom, he might credit them with doing that, right? So then they'll yeah, then owe them. Even. Owe them, yeah. So well, I guess we'll see how the how the deep goes because it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he's really broken down. I think it's just like if, if all the other soups right now are lonely and feeling all these different kinds of like emotional things and then the deep has kind of been ousted from the seven and literally has nothing right now so i also think he's just kind of a loose cannon and he does seem ripe for being like brainwashed (laughs) yeah i hate to draw uh, comparisons to game of thrones about everything but i think he's kind of a theon yeah and and theon did bad shit yeah and then he had to go through the worst shit ever (laughs) yes and i will say i did feel like he redeemed himself so maybe this whole feeling is like uh i don't know and maybe it was because that game of thrones was set in a period piece that i couldn't relate to it and this one is more modern with the me too stuff where it just feels like oh i could never forgive like that kind of thing but you're Mm -hmm. right it's essentially in the same vein of story and possibly setting up the same arc in a way yeah if we're right then he's gonna go through something bad i would imagine in terms of he has to do this 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 soul searching this shroom tea infused (laughs) (laughs) therapy but then only for him to then wind up being used again i can't imagine that's going to lift him up i I think that would drive him further down this destructive path that we've already seen him on so we'll see because they haven't exposed anything about carol and eagle they we just suspect that that they are trying to get into Vought for some nefarious reason. Yes. Which I kind of like because it's a different aspect and angle, just like a new storyline, which I enjoy because it's like, of course, there would be some people trying to get in the seven to possibly use that as control, sort of like a lobbying type thing, right? You want to yeah. have the power and it's just like, well, what are you lobbying, Carol? <laughs> is what I want to know. <laughs> Why do you want power so bad is is the question. Unbeknownst to the production of the show, the whole Carol Baskin thing happened probably while they were making the show. <laughs> so now the name Carol has a little Karen stink. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh. sorry, Carol. So the word. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. Carol's it's, and Karen. It, it, sorry. It's probably temporary, I hope. But for right now, it's tainted. <laughs> Blame that first Karen who gave you a bad name. (laughs) That Karen should have kept her mouth shut. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So I think we've covered pretty much everything that happened in the second episode. We'll be back just like I said in the end of the first one, five minutes from now. Just go get a new drink and pop in the... Because, you know, you pop in podcasts just like cassettes. (laughs) Uh, Pop in the third one. And Kat and I will be right back to talk about the third episode on this premiere night of The Boys. So don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, I think Amazon and Audible are things now. So do that and give us five stars, please. So this has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And we'll be right back. We're your, we're going to guide you through this thing. <laughs> we're your friends and we'll share our opinions in just a sec. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. 
Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.